This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In this episode, there's something you need to be aware of no matter where you live in the United States. Extreme weather and what it will do to your homeowner's insurance. There's also a neat innovation around building weatherproof homes quicker and cheaper. And later, did you know that your extended warranty is about to expire? According to a new survey, chances are you've received a call saying just that. So, let's talk. Homeowner's insurance is getting to be a more difficult purchase because of the extreme weather patterns we've been experiencing in the United States and the risk to wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, uh, flood-inducing storms, all the stuff going on, windstorms, you name it, homeowners insurers are getting more and more antsy about writing homeowners insurance. And a lot of insurers no longer write in this zip code or that zip code or this state or that state. And where they do write, the coverages are becoming more limited and more expensive. I want you to know that we're moving into a time where insurers are underwriting risk with more variation than they have historically, where one insurer's uh, actuarial unit will see that your home is too big a risk for them. Another will say, hey, you're just fine. I remember this happened to me. I became familiar with this forever ago. I bought a 1937 house. And I had been with a particular homeowner's insurer for a while. And they sent a, um, a person to evaluate the house. And they were like, we're not insuring this house any day of the week. Wouldn't even consider it. And so then I called an independent agent. And he was able to place the insurance immediately. Again, because the way underwriting is done can vary so much from one insurer to another. Uh, It's something that we're going to have to experience as individuals, and that is when you're looking at where you're considering moving, the last thing you're thinking about when you're looking at buying in a new neighborhood or buying a new home is Is that house going to be affordable to insure or not? But now again, because of things being drilled down by insurers to specific neighborhoods and specific houses, it's really a good idea 
to find out up front, are you going to be able to afford the insurance? And so the process is different now, where it used to be when you were looking for homeowner's insurance, a lot of people, truth be told, would be influenced by advertising, and that's who they'd go with, or they'd be influenced by, if it's first home, by a real estate agent and say, oh, just call my friend, blah, 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 and he or she'll get your homeowner's insurance for you. Now, this needs to be more methodical, as if you don't have enough things you've got to worry about when you're buying a new home and all the stuff with the mortgage company and all that. I want you to add this to the list and just get a cursory quote before you buy somewhere. And remember, never more than now, shopping around for homeowner's insurance makes a big difference because of how things are spreading out and how insurers underwrite risk on your home, one insurer to another, to another, to another. Speaking of all the risks with homes, there are methods of construction that make a home much hardier. And you're going to find that many times when an insurer evaluates your home, there will be things they say they want you to do to the home in order to insure it. So they may say, yeah, we'll insure your home, but you know, you don't have this safety feature or that one, or you don't have this installed or that one, and they'll require you do those things in order to have insurance with them. But do you know there are also processes where homes are built that they're much tougher? And I've been on the 3D printed home wagon for a few years. I'm really into it. And I read a story in the Florida Sun Sentinel from Fort Lauderdale about a builder building 3D printed homes in the state capital of Florida, Tallahassee, that are hurricane proof, flood proof, they're cheaper to build, they're more robust, and they're quicker. They take some getting used to the style of a 3D printed home. But do you know a 3D printed home can be printed on site with these industrial kind of printers in as little as three days. And you got finished to do, you got prep, site prep to do before the home is built. And you have finished to do after the home is built. But the home itself goes up so fast. And the oddest thing about it is that the building plan for a 3D printed home can be much more interesting and have a lot more variety to it than a traditional stick-built home. You know, I've talked in the past about how in the United States we are way too tradition-oriented in how we build homes. The rest of the world is moving forward with alternative and smarter methods to build houses, and we seem to be kind of stuck in a different era maybe from 50 years ago, and how we're building homes. And we got to think about it. And you think about Florida or Louisiana, coastal Texas, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, you move up the eastern seaboard. The opportunity we're missing 
particularly with properties close to the ocean or the Gulf, not looking at 3D printed homes as a way of building fortified houses that can withstand a hurricane and not suffer the water damage, even if they do flood, that a traditional home suffers from a hurricane. And yes, they do look different. All right, here's a question sort of related from Justin in Illinois. Four years ago, I made a claim on my insurance to replace my roof due to hail damage. A few months ago, I made another large claim due to a severe windstorm that damaged my property. I just received a letter from my insurance that they will no longer insure me. I filed an appeal, but what else can I do? I'm concerned that no one will insure me. Justin, this is a problem that more and more people experience. And the reality is there's a phrase I've used for many years, use it and lose it for homeowner's insurance. The homeowner's insurance has become a product for catastrophic loss only. Now, you had two significant claims. You had one because your roof got hail damage, and it's normal and reasonable that you would make that claim. I don't know how severe the windstorm was that damaged your property and how much the claim was. But what I've been recommending, because now for you to get new insurance is going to be a hassle and more expensive, is that you raise your deductible on your homeowner's insurance as high as you can afford or as high as your mortgage company, if you have a mortgage, Justin, will let you set the deductible at. Because insurers judge you often for a number of claims more than they do even the dollar amounts of those claims. So this is really, really key for all of us is to avoid whenever possible making claims against homeowners. And any claim should be a big deal thing. And I know you're thinking, why do I have homeowners insurance in the first place if I can't use it? And what's happened is that homeowners insurance has really become catastrophic insurance only because those smaller claims will eat you up. And this is from Chris in Ohio. My wife wrote me a check for something that I deposited into my credit union account. Well, what a generous spouse, right? So nice, right? right? She accidentally wrote the check from one of her old accounts that she closed, so it ended up being returned for insufficient funds. As a result, my credit union withdrew the original amount deposited, which makes perfect sense, but also charged me $30 for the insufficient funds. I called the credit union to explain what happened, but there was nothing they could do to reverse the fee. Aside from uh, uh, nothing uh, they would do. It's a, he said nothing they would do. Aside from the irony of my wife ripping me off, LOL, I wonder what they would charge me for a bounce check when it wasn't my fault that the money wasn't there. I know this is standard practice with banks, but would hope that a credit union would be more lenient on these, on these types of fees. Well, first of all, that's a complete junk fee. There is absolutely no excuse ever that a credit union of which you are an owner would charge you a junk fee like that. The cost to them of processing that return unpaid check is teensy tiny, and they do it as a punitive fee. Uh, But why be punitive to you? You're not the one who wrote the bad check. 
Well, your wife did. But anyway, um, you are an owner of that credit union. And if they're behaving like a big bad bank, you need to contact the board of directors of that credit union. They may not even be aware that the credit union's behaving like a big bad adversarial bank. So your board of directors has meetings regularly now, maybe now because of COVID, they're virtual, but there is generally a comment period available to members, and it is your credit union. You own it. Stand up for yourself. And the people you call at customer no service at a credit union probably aren't given any more latitude to fix junk fees than people who work in customer no service at a bank. But the board needs to know and it's up to you to let your credit union that you own know that this junk fee is not fair or right. This is from Seth in Florida. I had surgery in June and just received a surprise out-of-network medical bill for the anesthesiologist. From what I'm reading online, there are new protections under the No Surprises Act that will allow for a dispute process where the provider and insurance each submit bids and a neutral third party decides. How do I trigger this sort of arbitration? Seth, I hope that the surgery went well. And the deal is with the new No Surprises Act, the benefits don't go into effect till three months from now. In January 22 is when it goes into effect. The final regulations are being uh, done now as to how you would handle a dispute And I don't mean to pick on anesthesiologists, but they are the most common party in a, if you have surgery done at an in-network facility from an in-network surgeon, the UFO you don't know about and that you have no control over more often than anything else is the anesthesiologist. And anesthesiology practices often will not go in-network because of how the insurance company crushes their rates. And since you don't get to choose your anesthesiologist, it has been a broken part of the medical billing system that you as the consumer end up with a short straw. So starting next year, Seth, you're going to have the procedure that you're going to be able to follow. You just don't have that right now. And I want to tell you next... If you're sick of something else, getting junk robocalls about your car warranty expiring, you're not alone. How many emails, texts, and phone calls do you get from people trying to sell you an extended warranty on your car? Well, according to the robo-killer folks, 13 billion calls will be placed over this year for those car warranties, most of which are fake. You're not even getting a warranty. They're pretending you're getting one and getting your money. But even if they are some kind of marketing company that actually pretends they have some kind of warranty that they actually send you rather than one that just steals your money. The truth is, getting paid on a claim 
from one of these marketing firms is almost impossible. So this really goes into two categories. You have absolute just frauds where people call you with a robocall. They tell you they're going to cover everything on your vehicle for 100,000 miles, and it's this little amount of money. And do you know what it costs just to fix the blah, blah, blah in your car? And people fall for it, and they buy these extended warranties. And so category one is where there actually is no warranty at all. They just steal your money. Category two is where they do say they offer you some kind of service contract, but it's not one that's worth the paper it's written on because they uh, make it very difficult, if impossible, to get a claim paid. And often they will either go insolvent or have what's known as a bust out where they collect a lot of money from people for a period of time. They may even pay claims for a while. But when the warranties get some age on them or the service contracts get some age on them, they're gone in the middle of the night and you got nothing. So this is something that we're so susceptible to because we depend on our vehicle to get us to and from work, to go shopping, to get the kids, to do whatever. And very few of us, I think it's only 3% of Americans, have any meaningful access to public transit. So your car croaks and you're out of business. And if you don't have the money for it, for the repair, then you're really in real trouble. So that's why... These fake warranties have been so, so successful at stealing your money. Think about that salt in the wounds. You think you have peace of mind, something goes wrong with the vehicle, and it turns out you don't have anything helpful or useful. And that leads right into a question you have, Krista. Yes, Sarah in Oklahoma wrote in saying, how do I find a reputable extended warranty company for my car? So, Sarah, the only place I can send you that I know is safe is the manufacturer of your brand. So, if you have a Ford, Ford, if you have a General Motors product, GM, and on like that, that you buy from the manufacturer itself of your vehicle. So, they're extending a warranty to you for three years, five years, whatever, for a set number of miles, and the manufacturers often will sell their own branded extended warranty. This is not if you go to a Ford dealer and they sell you something. It's got to be the Ford warranty. Go to a Chevy dealer. It's got to be the GM product, not whatever the dealership's peddling. So know that the manufacturers are the ones you need to pay for the warranty for. And no fool in Sarah, it's going to be expensive. And often, reality is you're better off taking the thousands you would pay for a reputable extension of your vehicle warranty and putting it in a savings account to pay for repairs when something does go wrong with your vehicle, if something goes wrong with your vehicle. This is from Kate in Tennessee. Help. I received my retiree health benefits from my employer after being laid off due to COVID last year. 
I had over 20 years with them and was 59 making a healthy six figures. I've feverishly been looking for work ever since. I used my severance package and some savings to sustain my family as the sole provider for the last 16 months. My industry and the higher salary positions are extremely competitive. I have a stack of applications where I've either been declined or gone through the interview process and not selected. Recently, a position opened up with my former employer. I went through the process and yesterday was made an offer to return. However, because of the break in my service, I will come back as a new employee. Since they no longer offer retiree health care benefits, they said I would have to forfeit them. What? They do offer full health care benefits, so I would not have disruption in coverage. The salary offer is less than I was previously earning, but they have a profit-sharing 401k that I remain fully vested in at 7% annual incentive. Should I take it and sacrifice my retiree health care package? Wow. I mean, this one, this is hard, hard, hard to answer, Kate. So you are six years away from Medicare, and... If you think that you'll be able to work with the employer through that cycle, then losing the retiree health benefits becomes a less important issue. The fact is you're going to have the money again to support your family, likely, even though it's not as lucrative as what you had before. You'll have the money going towards retirement that you had before, and you'll have healthcare coverage while you're working there. So this is one you're going to have to make an educated guess on. If you think you, in fact, will be A-OK being able to stay employed there for six years or close to it that gets you to where you've got Medicare or A and B eligibility, then I would sacrifice the retiree health care because you need the income coming in now. Um, if you think that the lay of the land where you used to work and where you could be working again is that your employment would be rather temporary, then it's a lot for you to give up full retiree health coverage. So this is one there's, you got to go with your gut on this based on the feeling there. This is from John in Hawaii. Aloha, Clark. Most 403Bs are garbage, as you have stated, and I agree with you for the most part. Some employers are akamai, I hope I'm saying that right, Hawaiian for smart. Like I would know? My employer offers a 403B and a 403B Roth, and the fees are only $60 a year through Fidelity. Inform your listeners to be akamai and find out what their fees are. They may find out... They, they, they may find out it's not so bad, but they need to look. Mahalo and aloha. See, we can say those You can words. say those, yeah. <laughs> you know, there used to be airlines in the Hawaiian Islands of each of those names. Oh. I have flew in the past on mahalo and aloha, and they both have uh, failed as airlines are want to do eventually. So great advice, John, and great news that you have one of the very affordable plans through Fidelity. And the more exposure we can bring to the table about how insurance company provided 403B plans are trash or garbage and that you need to know what kind of fees you're going to pay, whether you're subject to surrender charges and all the rest, is key. Uh, One thing you should know, if a very friendly salesperson comes to your school or 
the hospital you work at or the nonprofit you work at and wants to sign you up for a plan, the odds are very close to 100% that you're about to get absolutely eaten alive by massive fees being in that 403B. And this is from Logan in Texas. I live in the Houston metro area, and I try to travel back to my hometown to visit friends and family via the Reno-Tahoe airport whenever I can get a good deal. However, the only way I can seem to find them is routinely checking fares on the airline websites and going to Google Flights. I love using Scott's Cheap Flights for great deals internationally, but was wondering if you knew of a similar tool that notifies you when great deals pop up to a specific destination instead of trying to get the best deal based on when you want to travel. I have extremely flexible an extremely flexible job that allows for remote work, so I care more about getting the best deals from Houston to Reno whenever they pop up, rather than getting a deal at a specific time of year. So you mentioned that you use Google Flights, and Google Flights has a tool where they will notify you when a lower fare comes into the market. Since this is a regular travel pattern going Houston to Reno, you'll find it will be very useful on the Google Flights tool for them to notify you when there is a deal for you on the route. Now, you will miss deals on Southwest because uh, Google Flights does not track Southwest fares. And Southwest has fought efforts for fare notification services Southwest does not want you using those, and I think it's a missed opportunity for them, but they run their airline the way they want. Also, there's an app you should load on your phone called Hopper that I find useful, and another one called Skyscanner. So with Google Flights, because he's saying he doesn't necessarily care about the dates, should he put in several dates for alerts? Because don't they alert you based on the dates of travel? Actually, yeah, so with Google Flights, you need to put in multiple dates. So uh, you could put in month after month after month, a series of dates, and it'll notify you when there are deals on those dates. There's not a total waterfront kind of tool you can use with Google Flights. But as soon as you put in a travel date from Houston to Reno and back, it'll then give you an option to track flights. And you're able to do that, put that link on, on the Google Flights thing, and just add a series of dates to do so. I don't think Google's come up with a way to prevent you from doing that yet. And if we didn't get to your question or you want advice one-on-one, that's free. You can reach our Team Clark Consumer Action Center for free one-on-one advice Monday through Friday from 10 in the morning Eastern to 4 in the afternoon Eastern, 7 in the morning till 1 in the afternoon Pacific time. You can call and speak with one of our Team Clark members at 636-49-CLARK. That's been a service of our show for almost 29 years.